Welcome to Strategize Health. I'm Hallie Reeves, your host, a community health planner and strategist. Strategize Health is a place for people to talk about the ways they are making a change in their community's health. Each episode, we interview different guests to share some practical lessons learned so that we all can be more effective in our work, improving our community's health and making the places we live better for all residents. chatting with Leslie Meehan. Leslie Meehan oversees the Office of Primary Prevention in the Commissioner's Office of the Tennessee Department of Health. Her focus is on increasing physical activity through the built environment as the foremost way to combat the state's largest health issues. Previously, Ms. Meehan uh, served 10 years as the Director of Healthy Communities for the Nashville Area Metropolitan Planning Organization, MPO in Tennessee. At the MPO, she focused on the intersection of transportation and health, specifically transportation's impact on physical activity, um, air quality, and injury. Her work has been recognized nationally and internationally. Ms. Meehan is a member of the American Institute of Certified Planners, the Institute of Transportation Engineers, the Association of Bicycle and Pedestrian Professionals, and the Tennessee Public Health Association. So thank you so much, um, Leslie, for agreeing to, to chat today and um, being on the podcast. My pleasure. So um, I guess just to, to dive in, um, I guess I, I wanted to ask you um, what you feel makes a community healthy. I think a healthy community really has a lot to do with quality of life and when folks feel that there's opportunity for them and for their family, and there's a, a lot of things to support the things that are interesting to them and what they want to get out of life. I think that's really what makes a healthy community. So that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. From a, a public health perspective, I think a lot about food and I think about physical activity. And I also think about housing and transportation and education and how all of those things, no matter your income level or your background or what part of the country you live in, those are all fundamental components of having a high quality of life. And in public health, we can do a lot to influence food choices that are available in the community. We can also influence the built environment and things like parks, playgrounds, sidewalks, greenways, walking tracks, And then we can also be at the table to help communities think strategically about economic development and jobs and education and how all of those things are are really connected. And if you're missing one of those pieces, if you can't find housing that's within your income range, that doesn't mean a long commute for your family, or if there aren't enough school choices where you're wanting to live, or if there's no grocery store, near your home, all of those things really impact your quality of life. So public health, I think it's our job to help think about all those facets and to help others connect the dots as well so that we can see that a high quality of life really comes from having all of those components interconnected. Great. 
And and you you got into this a little bit, but um, how do you feel that your work um, impacts the health of your community? We're doing some really neat things as a Department of Health, and that's where I get a lot of my job satisfaction is we're trying to look at the issues in a little different manner. A lot of our philosophy just in the United States in general is treating our way out of disease and do we need more doctors and hospitals and prescriptions? But the data tells us that that's not going to solve our nation's health crisis. And so we need to be thinking about what can we do differently. And at the Department of Health, we're doing a lot of work around the built environment. We've hired seven positions called healthy development coordinators. And even though they work for public health, they're really liaisons in added capacity working with chambers and departments of parks and transportation planners and those kinds of, of professions across the state helping communities, again, to think about where they have grocery stores, farmers markets, community gardens, greenways, trails, sidewalks. And I like that innovative type of position. We had over 400 applicants from 30 states apply for those seven positions. Oh, wow. So we know that there's some demand out there, and we know that the this current generation of students who are now coming out of school, they've been trained in how all of these things interact in this cross-disciplinary approach, this cross-sector approach. And so we, we've got that. We've also been doing some built environment grants. So you have a public health department giving away money for greenways and bicycle pedestrian master plans. And that's a little bit atypical. But the reason we're doing that is because there's a gap in that kind of funding. So our state departments of transportation and parks, they don't give communities funding for plans. But if the community doesn't have a plan, they're certainly not going to be eligible to get a grant to build something. So if we can fill that gap by helping to give them money to do a master plan for parks or greenways or sidewalks or whatever it is, then that is helpful. The other thing the money is eligible for is to build things. And that is helpful because the grants we give out don't require a match, which is a huge barrier for a lot of local communities because a grant may require a 10 or 20 or 30 percent match, and they just don't have that type of cash as a small or rural community. So our grants don't require any kind of match, and in fact, they can be used as match for some of these other grants issued by other state agencies. So we're really trying to think outside the box as a public health department and figure out where are the gaps that are contributing to health disparities and chronic disease across the state. And then what can we do that might be completely outside the box that we can do as a health department to help fill in those gaps? Great. So you mentioned the seven healthy development coordinators. <clears throat> Is there a reason why there were seven of them? The way that our department has the state broken out, we have it sectioned into seven different regions. So that's the only reason why we, we stuck with seven is we wanted to make sure that we had the entire state covered. And in order to do that, that meant one person in every region. Great. And I love the idea of um, really being strategic about the public health dollars that exist to fill gaps um, where other state agencies have provided an opportunity. but may need additional support. That's that's really, really wonderful. Is there um, any, I guess, 
when you chose that strategy, um, how exactly, what was, what was the process um, through which you, you went um, in order to decide kind of the RFP process and how, how that would function? How, how did that play out? Well, in terms of deciding whether or not to get into the, the publicly accessible physical activity business in general, a lot of that came from our leadership. Our commissioner focuses on what he calls the big four, which are the four leading causes or four leading contributors to the top 10 causes of disease and death in our state. And it's physical inactivity, unhealthy eating, tobacco use, and other substance abuse. And he believes there's a positive association between physical activity and a decreased instance of those other areas. So the more physically active you are, the more likely you are to eat healthier foods, less likely you are to smoke, et cetera. And so that is why he wanted to get into the business of thinking about what could we do to help support opportunities for publicly accessible physical activity across the state. And then in terms of getting into the, the RFP process and, and issuing the grants, this was a, a new book of business for our department. So there was a big learning curve, but we were amazed because we had 75% of the counties in the state applied for funding this first round. And we ended up having nearly nine times more in funding requests than we had funding to give out. And the applications were incredibly strong. And we had communities from 200 people to 200,000 people apply. And the application required communities to paint a picture. They had to provide economic data. They had to provide health data. They had to talk about health disparities. And they had to weave all of that together and demonstrate that they had a, a built environment need for whatever it, it was that they want to try to do, outdoor exercise equipment, a greenway, a trail, a playground, a walking track, whatever it is, a bike pedestrian master plan, a greenways master plan. And the communities were more than effective at demonstrating the need across the state. The applications were beautifully written, and the sheer amount of volume and requests we got for this funding showed us that we are, are hopefully headed in the right direction and that we, we did hit on a, a, a gap in the state. And, and so we're really excited to be able to continue to offer that funding hopefully again this year. Great. So so looking forward, it does seem like the demand is there and um, there's a real um, energy to, to fill that, that demand. Mm -hmm. That's great. So are there any other strategies that um, improve health that you're, you're currently really excited about? One of the things I'm most excited about is we have a state health plan that's more of a framework rather than a plan. It helps us to constantly ask a few questions. Are we thinking upstream? In other words, are we thinking about the activity that we could be doing that's got the most, the strongest element to prevention? A lot of times in, in health and healthcare, again, we're, we can be reactionary. So it's really easy to think about how to react to a flu epidemic or re react to some other issue when being proactive is not often what gets funded and it's definitely not what sells with the media. We, we often talk about that. If it bleeds, it leads. We've all heard that. And we're trying to create a demand around prevention, which is, can be harder to do. But one of the things that we've done is we've taken that state health plan, and rather than it living at the state level, which is not where 
the vast majority of decisions are made. We've uh, encouraged all of our counties to do a local prevention plan, and this is a first for our state. And these plans are really built around what can we do as communities to address the needs within the community. And that's going to vary from community to community. Some communities might want to address uh, tobacco use or teen pregnancy or whatever the issue is. But they, the plans are an opportunity to serve as a strategic plan for that community and to think not only about what the health, health department can do to contribute, but also how the health department can partner with other community members. One of the messages that we have for our health department staff who are used to working in our health department clinics is they're not in it alone. There are a lot of other organizations and groups and individuals and elected officials and stakeholders who see the issues as well and are trying to address them. And we know that we can have greater collective impact if we're all singing from the same hymnal, if you will. So if we're developing these county level prevention plans, then we all have a targeted and focused game plan from which we can all work and it's developed by the community for the community. Great. Yeah, that, that sounds like there several people in the planning world are starting to move more into the engagement um, side of things because really the collective impact occurs at the kind of local or regional level and um, it has to come through that engagement. So that, that sounds like it's it's right on uh, in line with where a lot of folks are are heading. So that's that's exciting. It's great. Great. Um, what are some some successes um, and some challenges that you've experienced in, in your work? One of the successes that I'm uh, which I'm most proud of is the formation of a statewide health and all policies group. And we intentionally didn't lead with the word health or policy because we didn't want the Department of Public Health to be seen as the leader of it or, or the full recipient. We wanted this to be more of a, that group approach, that collective impact approach. And different states have different mechanisms for setting up a, a group like this. Ours is set up so that it's a voluntary group. We interviewed and onboarded a dozen state agencies, and that's now grown to about 15 agencies. In each agency, we essentially asked them, what would you want to get out of collaborating with other state agencies and what could you give to an effort like that? And the group has been up and running now for a few years. We developed a structure for ourselves and some objectives and that kind of thing. But we have a, a couple of projects going on right now and we're really excited about them because it's essentially coordinating. We're coordinating our funding and we're pooling that together to co-issue grants. We're coordinating our staff where several of us might have regional staff that have very similar jobs and we're getting them together. And we're just thinking more strategically about how can we be better fiscal stewards of state resources? How can we better serve Tennesseans? And it's giving us an opportunity to market our services so that someone who comes into one of our state agencies might learn about several other things that are available to them that they might not have known existed. And we as state agencies might not have even known that those other services existed. So it, that's a really, really fun opportunity. And I think the most gratifying part for me is that it's happening because these state agencies want to be at the table together. 
not because they were told that they have to be at the table together. I think other than um, other than that, you asked about challenges, and the challenge is always demonstrating the value of things like that type of collaboration or, again, the value of prevention, because what you're trying to measure is you're measuring things that aren't happening. You're, you're trying to measure bad things that aren't happening, and, and how do you do that? It's so much easier to measure the bad things, the number of car crashes, the number of people who come down with influenza, you know, those kinds of things. So if you're helping communities be stronger, have stronger economies, if you're helping families earn more income, get higher education, there's, there's kind of a two-fold challenge. One is how do you demonstrate that success? And the second challenge is sometimes that success doesn't come overnight. Sometimes it takes a while. And so how do you demonstrate to stakeholders, especially your legislature, uh, other people who are, are giving you money or not giving you money, how do you demonstrate that kind of success? And the answer that we come up with is we have to first start with at least what it, we can uh, gauge in process. So getting the number of state agencies together around a table, we can tell that story. Then we can start to get into the decision-making process that went into them deciding how they wanted to work together. And then over time, hopefully we'll be able to demonstrate the, the actual impact of those collaborations and the return on investment and that kind of thing. But until you can get to those big numbers, until you can show that you're moving your physical activity rates for your state or you're lowering obesity or you're lowering childhood asthma or, or whatever the, the big pie in the sky goal is that you're trying to achieve. In the meantime, you just have to come up with as many creative ways as possible to demonstrate the steps that it takes to actually get to that kind of movement. So it, it's a challenge, but I think it's, it's one that we can overcome. Absolutely. So do you use a standard kind of logic model when you're thinking about that um, in order to, to lay out um, essentially the, the process and intermediate outcomes? We do. We have a logic model for, for all of our different initiatives and we tailor it to what we're trying to achieve. But yes, we, we definitely try to break that down, particularly for those who aren't familiar with evaluation. We try to break it into bite-sized chunks so that we can show how do you get from the beginning to the end? How do you start with the end in mind? And what's the process to, to get there through the various steps? And I think that's very helpful because particularly for those outside of the world of public health, a logic model can be a little bit foreign. Yeah. Um, evaluation can be foreign. Uh, even the data collection and analysis that we do as a public health enterprise is not necessarily the way that other sectors of government go about doing their book of business. A lot of sectors have a, a lot of political influence, for example, and their decision making. And so I think it's helpful for us as public health practitioners to understand how other sectors make their decisions and then understand how can we show them the value of doing things through something like a logic model so that you're very intentional about the outcomes you're trying to achieve and then Sometimes that means we have to meet in the middle because it might be a little bit too much of a leap for another sector to, to dive right into something like that. But if we start by understanding them and their decision-making processes, then we can better figure out how to market, if you will, 
how we think as a public health enterprise. Great. Do you have an example of, of when you've done that? We work with our Department of Economic and Community Development, who very well intentionally has done some grants in the past few years around health. And they were very broad, and communities, essentially, if they did an economic development plan for their county, could be eligible for money. And it wasn't a question of if they would get money, but just how much. And that was determined based on their economic climate in their state. Essentially, the worse off the economy, the, the more money they were eligible for. Well, the Department of Economic Community Development was just awarding funds to whatever came in the door. So a community might want to do a health fair. And while that may seem like a nice thing to do, we think about that as something like a one-and-done event, where you might touch people for a few minutes on one day, but does that really have a lasting impact on their lives? And so we've been able to help our Department of Economic Community Development, number one, come up with some more meaningful suggestions for our policies, systems, and environmental change type initiatives that communities could undertake that would have a little bit more of a broader and lasting impact on the community. And then two, we help them to come up with ways of measuring what communities were doing. And that's helpful for the community too. So at the end of that grant cycle, they can evaluate what they've done and, and say, did we meet our objectives? If we missed the mark, what should we have done differently? Should we build on what we're doing this year, next year? So we, have been doing that and I think that's been really well received for our Department of Economic Community Development and it's really helped them be a little bit more strategic not only with the grants they give out for health but grants that they give out that address education and other areas as well. Yeah well and I can see how in a you know in a previous conversation we were talking about spreading ourselves too thin and um, I could see how how that would be in high demand that um, yeah. technical capacity to support folks with evaluation in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, this has been wonderful. Um, thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, I, I just uh, really appreciate you being a guinea pig for me on, on this. Thanks to the listeners who have provided reviews and feedback. We take that feedback and make the podcast better. Now, we want to know your feedback and suggestions. Send us an email at strategizehealth, that's one word, at gmail.com. To get our next episode automatically, please subscribe. And if you liked our show, please give us a five-star review. I'm Hallie Reeves. Thanks for listening to Strategize Health.